Welcome back to the Growth Over Goals podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. And today we're excited to let you in on a special conversation that we recently shared with Pastor Craig Rochelle. I want to also give a shout out to Brad Lominick, who joined me in this conversation and honor Green State Credit Union, who allowed for this conversation to be possible at Leadership Day 2023, hosted by Green State Credit Union. We had a chance to catch up with Craig over lunch and ask him questions about all things leadership. We learned, we laughed, we grew so much in this time together. And if you don't know Craig Rochelle, I want you to know this. Craig Rochelle is a pastor at Life Church. He is a speaker, he's an author, he's got a new book that just came out, The Power to Change. Go check it out if you haven't already. We'll be sure to add the access to the book link in the show notes. He also wrote the book, Winning the War in Your Mind. You can find him on YouTube, check out his sermons. He is truly one of the most impactful leaders walking our planet, one of the top thought leaders when it comes to leadership development, attracting talent, retaining talent, developing culture, and developing teams. We're going to talk about all of those things today in the Growth Over Goals podcast. This episode is special. It's one of my favorite. and can't wait for you to hear it. Here we go. Craig Rochelle on the Growth Over Goals podcast. All right, Craig, so many things that I want to ask you about business and leadership and business specifically. But before we get into that, I want to know about just leading in the home. You know, you talk often about parenting and leading inside the walls of your home. What What is the number one value that you try to instill in your children? I would say with, um, with six kids, what you find out is that they all value different things. And, and so I couldn't answer it being one thing, but what we tried to do is find out what they value and, and drift toward that value. Bring them that. So, and, and so how, do you, how are you close to six kids? The answer is six different ways. And we, we try to mirror whatever brings them connection. Some like to text, we text. Some like to we'll only talk if we throw in the ball for 30 minutes, we throw the ball for 30 minutes. Others of them, it's after 11 o'clock at night when we'd rather be doing something else at 11 o'clock at night. But it's mirroring, mirroring their interest and trying to let their values meet them at their values, not try to draw them to ours. All right, Craig, I want to talk to you about an acronym that you used earlier today in your keynote speech that you refer to often, actually, and it's Gitmo. Good enough to move on. This really has a lot to do with efficiency and effectiveness. You know, you make this claim that as leaders, we have to know when it's good enough to move on if we're driving for efficiency or effectiveness. But my question to you is, how do we know when we've reached the point of good enough to move on with a specific project or task? I, I would say that a lot, how do you know when you've reached the good enough part that usually someone else recognizes it and tells me that, that by nature, most of us try to move on. It's, if you've got people around, I mean, try to get things better and better and better. If you've got people around you that says, hey, that's probably a Gitmo, that's a good thing. So what we want is a culture where we all help call each other out. Whoever's on the project is probably going to try to bring more. But someone that next to him, my team all the time says, hey, I think that's a Gitmo. Let's go. Like, oh, you're right. You're right. So I don't always recognize it, but people help us recognize it. If you're on your own, you know, like for me on messages, that's probably where I'd be most on my own. But I actually ask for help. And so a lot of times you can't completely gauge. And here's, here's one of the ways. How do you get feedback? No one's going to tell me exactly. So on a message, I'll go, I'll go through it with someone on the front end. And then I'll say, um, you know, percentage-wise, how close do you think that is to ready? And if they say, oh, 97%, that means they like it. 
If they say 80%, that's the way they tell me. It's a safe way to get feedback from them when they don't always feel safe. So that could be a, a way to ask like, hey, so you know, what do you think is this? How, how close is this to Gitmo? And they could tell you or not. Um, but I would suggest that you don't, you're not the only litmus test on that. You have others help you find it. Craig, I've known you for many, many years and I've always seen this in you. You, you constantly ask for feedback and many times feedback that most people wouldn't ask for. Even after you teach, after you are speaking, you'll ask for feedback pretty quickly as soon as you're done. Most leaders aren't this way. Uh, they're not transparent. They're not vulnerable. Uh, this is helping you, correct? Yeah, I'd be afraid not to have it. And my fear is, and, and I'm sure Jeff and, and Mar, you probably feel this too, the more your organization grows, the more people tell you what they want to, what you want to hear. And that's a horrifying place to be. Yeah. The, you know, we become, the, the trajectory of success is toward narcissism. And we start to think we know all the answers. We start to think that we're good. And then before long, people tolerate us. Um, Andy Stanley, the way he says it is, he said, what is it? Um, uh, if you don't listen to what people have to say, eventually you'll be surrounded by people who have nothing to say. Yeah, if you don't listen to what they say, you'll eventually be surrounded by people who have nothing to say. And that's, that's uh, what we, ha we have to work harder, 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 the more successful we become to get honest feedback. So I celebrate it and then I brag on it. Like when Jen would tell you or Kyle, when I go through the offices to get feedback from people, I'll go straight past the three highest paid people and I'll go down to a 23 year intern because, and it's so valuable. And so I applaud it, celebrate. And I always tell them like, you tell me the truth that you're valuable because of that. We have to, we have to work really, really hard to get it. All right, Craig, you have roughly 1000 employees a lot of people to manage, a lot going on inside your organization. I want to know what does corporate communication look like for you and for your team? Is it video? Is it email? I mean, how does this take shape and, and what does that mean for you at Life Church to do corporate communication well? I would say they're constant until they need to change, M meaning we had, we had certain rhythms that worked kind of pre-COVID and then in the middle we had to adjust them. And that oddly enough afterwards, I kind of thought once the dust settled, things would go back to normal. It's just not normal. Meaning now I feel like we have to, um, twice the leadership energy gets about half the result as before. It takes, it's taking more effort and energy to get movement than before. So what does it look like uh, for us? We bring in um, all thousand people twice a year. One of those two times we bring in spouses. And in our world, spouses matter a lot because if you don't have full buy-in, it, it, it costs you. Mm. Um, and then, w then we'll do another two meetings where we do, we have everybody, but they're not in one place. And so it's, a, it's kind of a celebratory half day type meeting, but they're, they're not in necessarily in the same place. Then what happens is we want to create a culture where there's just constant ongoing conversation. Here's what we're doing now that's a little bit different is in order to lead things deeper, we're starting with different levels. It used to be we would roll something out to all 1,000 staff members at the same time. Now what we do is we roll it out to our top 17 first, then we spend a half day with our top 110, and then the next day we roll it out to everybody because we feel like it's gotta, it's gotta go deeper in the top leaders first. We want to give them more time to process it, and then we want them to help, we want them to feel like they're helping us roll it out, they're with us, we're not rolling it out on them. So we're spending more time on the, um, on the front end to get the same kind of movement. And it, it is genuinely working now, but I'd say we're in the first season of it really working well again, kind of after the 
crazy. We just had people, they, I don't know if you saw this, they, they went away, they went to their homes for COVID, they came back different. Some came back mad, some didn't want to work, some started to work harder. They just were different. And one of the bigger things is that the lot that, that some people just didn't trust anymore. They went and got in fringes. And so now anybody big successful is untrustworthy. So we're, uh, we're not assuming trust. We used to assume trust. Now we're not. We're now we're trying to make sure we're creating it, not just assuming it's there. What is the rhythm or frequency you try and communicate with your team daily, weekly, hourly, monthly? Well, we would, we would be together in the big meetings. It, you know, are we going to talk every year? And the answer is probably not. We have to give the illusion of access and the illusion of intimacy, meaning we cannot have access all the time and we cannot have intimacy all the time. But what we want to do is we, do, we need the illusion that you've got the access, but we actually need practical ways for us to get the information, not just directly to me. If you have something you want me to know, I actually need to know it. Or I need someone who needs to know it to screen it for me. And if they're going to err on anything, err on the side of telling me too much, not on protecting me from too much. And then we, we need, we need the, the sense of intimacy, which is um, they need to really know that we care. And the, one of the ways we do it is like to, today on the way here, um, I sent two texts to pastors that are having a hard time. I probably made pastorally, probably seven phone calls to staff members last week. And when I do that week over week over week over week, I'm not going to touch all thousand of them, but I'm going to touch a hundred of them and they talk. And so if I'm caring for them when they're down, is I'm not just caring for them, but I'm caring for their teams, meaning their team knows that I know. And, and sometimes it's just that, just do they know that we know, do they know, because when they're, they're hurting. So we, I have a little added pressure, which is not just professional, connection, but I need pastoral connection. And to some degree, you would have that same thing. You need to care about their families. And if you can make a few of those phone calls, um, whenever you make one, it's like making a hundred because they, they talk about it. And so can you do it all? No, but can you genuinely care? Yes. And so what you can do matters, but, but um, you can't do it all. And part of it is, you know, you'll, you will have people that were here when there was only 60 of you and either they adjust or they leave and they have to do one or the other. Yeah. All right, it's a virtual world. We have people working from all over the place, in different settings and different capacities. Um, do you have anyone on your team that works from home currently? We would have the only people that would work from home would be those who were um, agreed to work remote from the beginning. We have ridiculous flexibility, meaning you can come in when you want. We, we give unlimited vacation time. And so you take whatever you want interestingly, we, we had such a hard work culture that we implemented that with people needing to take time off. Then COVID came and people felt entitled to it. And then there was almost an abuse of it. So it was, it was a policy implemented in a time where people needed time off. And then they're like going, yeah, I'm not sure I want to work this week. So then we had to kind of come back and make the first time ever some adjustments to that and say to some of the newer people, that you're 22 and they've only had, this is their only job, like the work week starts at 40 hours and then it goes from there. That's kind of the baseline. We had to reinstill some of those basics. Another thing we're all dealing with is finding talent. Do you find it challenging? Are you finding it challenging to hire for positions that are currently open in the organization at Life Church? I think we have a unique situation, which is we got like 100,000 people to fishing pond to hire from that attend the church. And so the passion level is a little higher here, whereas in a corporate world, it's, 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 
more of like, what are my pay? What's my benefits? Yeah, so I think we have a little, or I think we have a lot of an advantage on that. We've got people mission-minded. All right, let's talk about lessons learned in making major changes, pivots. You've had to make a bunch of them. Uh, you wrote a book that's in some capacity dedicated to this topic, but what are some of the lessons you've learned when you've made a huge corporate change or pivot? So I would say that typically speaking, most leaders I know, including me, know the right thing to do and wait too long to do it. And what I found is that waiting longer typically doesn't make it easier, it makes it harder. So I try to train myself to make it earlier, but I don't always get it right. I also try to train myself, don't make it halfway, make it all the way, because you, you, you know, if you don't rip the bandaid off and you pull off slowly, it's, it's a lot, lot more painful. Um, I've learned in doing it that um, you, can, you can actually navigate some really complicated situations better than you think sometimes with just good leadership, meaning if you really bring the right people into it early and, and help them understand the why, and be really, really heavy on the why, then a lot of people will go along with you. And then I've also found, this is kind of interesting, that if you don't have a time like that every now and then, you've got some dissatisfied people that just don't really want to be there that you haven't shaken off in a while. And the advantage of some time like that is you get to shake the tree a little bit and you get to get some dead leaves off. And if you don't have a little bit of a turbulent water, then nobody falls off the boat. And there are actually times when you, it's not a bad thing to help people. And we're in a season like that right now. What happened is in the COVID times, we lowered our standards down to kind of the lowest common denominator. Like, okay, yeah, and you can do that. Okay, yeah, and yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so our empathy was ruling us. Now our passion for the mission is growing back. Now our passion is greater than our empathy. And so now we're, we're increasing clarity. We're raising expectations with love. But at the end of our last meeting, Jerry Hurley, who is the, he is the resident teddy bear, he's the guy everybody loves. At the end of it, it was so strong. He, he said, he came up really nicely, said, so if you're not leaning in, maybe you want to step out. And if, if you don't, if at some point, if we don't believe so much in what we're doing that we're not willing to say that every now and then, then we don't really believe in what we're doing. So if the change is necessary and we believe it's important, then we probably, there comes a time we say, this is where we're going. We hope that you get here. But if you can't get here, if you're not leaning in, maybe you need to step out. I need some times like that every now and then just to realign myself because it's, when I coast, I'm not good, I'm not good coasting. Mission is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. That's a mission. What drives us is the values, the values, 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 values. That's what, and, and so we work really hard on value statements that create emotion. Emotions move people to action. But the, uh, you know, the lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ, that's real hard to do, actually. <laughs> it's hard for me to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. In my opinion, the mission statement is necessary, but the value statements, value is what really drives actions. And translates to culture, right? And How we behave. Culture. culture, yes. Yeah, the things we do the here. Culture is a combination of what you create and what you allow. And if you don't like what you have, change what you create, change what you allow. The culture drives everything. Do you, do you always see, Craig, your role as the chief culture officer? Does it have to flow from you? Uh, it... it, it should start in my heart, but if, if it only has to flow through me, then we're way too, way too limited, way too limited. There are times when I would say other people come back and help me get back in the culture, meaning I need encouraging, I need inspiring, I need to be reminded. So no, it does not, doesn't, 
it's born out of me, but it doesn't. It shouldn't start today with me. There should be there should be hundreds of culture carriers doing it when I'm out here. Should be doing it at home. All right, you seem to get a lot done in small windows. You're highly efficient and effective. I know that you drive for effectiveness. What are the non-negotiable rhythms about your schedule? I'll, I'll say for me, uh, exercise. The last ten years, uh, before you you all don't know chubby. Chubby Brad, full face, full face, full face, Brad. Full face Brad. Chubby Brad. <laughs> Chad remembers. Chad remembers Chubby. I don't remember. And uh, it was a it was a signal or a sign of of dysfunction. It wasn't just that it was unhealth. It was dysfunction. So for me, the keystone habit for me that that had to be implemented was was walking and running daily. And all of a sudden, in the mindset of as James Clear says and others, I'm now a runner. Runners don't eat what I used to eat. So uh, I think the practical side of that is, is find the keystone habit that, that moves the needle. I mean, Craig's talk, talking about that in the new book. Yeah, you know, the, the, yours is flossing. I mean, that's one of your examples. Of yeah, so it was uh, the power of habit. Charles Duhigg, do you guys know the keystone habit principle? It, 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 Alcoa Steel, the CEO got hired to basically save the company. And he went in and said, this is going to be the safest place to work. And the board was confused. And he kept saying, this is going to be the safest place to work because it wasn't safe. And so what they found is he kept drum, beating that drum. Their interview process changed. Their, their systems changed. Their checks and balances changed. Their communication changed. It became the safest place. It became really, really profitable. That one driving force, he was smart. He, what one thing drives everything else? And it can be anything. That's why we always have our campuses work on one thing. For us, like if you can get an X, X, you know, 20% more people serving, what does that do for you? Do those people give more or give less? They give more. Do they invite more people or invite fewer? They invite more. Do they come to church more often or less? Does their emotional, spiritual buy-in, do they get closer to God? So one thing drives a lot of other things. That that's what we're looking for is what habit, what discipline, or what goal drives the other things. And so on the habits, since I just kind of wrote a book on it, people, people are asking, what's the one habit, whatever? I would say it's a reflection of who do you want to be, so that the habits have to reflect your own your own drive, your own needs. Um, and then I, what I would say is, in any extremely great leader, you're going to see extreme habits. If they're not, if people aren't calling you weird, you're not great. If you don't have something that's just bizarre, if they're not scratching their head, then you're just kind of normal. So. I have a lot of really weird things, and the the and and you, you have to you have but you have to you have to to tolerate the extreme. I mean, you have to tolerate the extremes, and then there's extreme downsides with extreme greatness. And I always tell people you have to be you have to be able to contain their handle their downsides because they're there to manage their brilliance. Craig, I think you balance this well. Obviously, you're doing work in corporate America. You know, you give corporate talks. You're helping businesses, but you're also leading in the church. Um, we're talking to people who aren't necessarily pastors, but they do want to wear their faith on their sleeve. Um, they want to they want to lead with their faith, but also they're leading in corporate America where it's not always easy to do that. What, what would you say to someone who is trying to live a life of faith and lead in corporate America? So it's, it's a very complicated question, um, especially for like a CEO. Those of private companies tend to have a little more freedoms than those in public companies. And when you started something, you, you have a little bit of latitude in it. Uh, it really doesn't work well if you're not an empathetic, caring leader. If you're, just, if you're one of the dogmatic kind of Christians, like the Bible says it and I believe it and that settles it, 
It doesn't work real well. So uh, I think as much as anything else, a couple things matter is, is your, the tone of your approach matters, how you carry yourself matters. If you lead with words and visible things before you lead with character, integrity, servant-minded, you're gonna lose some credibility. And uh, it's like preachers who preach for the church crowd or preachers who preach for the lost. I could say, I could say something for an amen or I could say something for the person that's sitting by you that we're trying to reach. And those are two different things. So we're, we're not trying to say something for the amen. We're not trying to get the Christians to go, she's so bold, man, she told them I was. <laughs> we want, we're, go, we're going for the person who goes, man, she's different. What is it about her? Um, and I think it's really, really difficult. And there's more skepticism toward Christianity today, more hatred, a lot of it's our fault. And so I think we've got a lot of, we've got to build credibility. We, we want to be the hardest workers. We want to be the most servant-minded. We want to be the most caring. We want to add value. We want to believe in people. We want all those things. We don't, we want, we don't just want, don't want just integrity and faith and love. We actually want production, meaning I want to, I want to show them, get something done. We want all that stuff. Anxiety is at an unprecedented level in our culture, in our world today. So your, your opinion on this, why do you think today we're seeing such a high level of anxiety? So I did the math this week, so I'm gonna use this as an illustration. The average person is on their phone a little less than four hours a day, okay? On the, just their phone, not their computer, their phone. If you add that up over a 60 year period, I did the math, 24 hours a day, this isn't just like productive hours. 20, you're on your phone over 10 years of your life. If you're only on for 60 years, 10 years of your life, 10 years of your life. And so I think that the fact that people are living through screens and not living out in nature and with people is devastating emotionally and relationally. I think it's devastating. The fact that they're, and then what it does to your mental health when you feel left out and you feel less than, you compare yourself to everybody. Some of the richest, the richest lady I know went off social media because she couldn't stand comparing. And the most successful pastors I know hate it because they're looking at the most successful Rocks, you know, musicians, and, and they don't they don't measure up, uh, and so I think that's that's a big part of it. I think COVID was was massive, and the suicide rate. I'm telling you, it is. I mean, we're seeing it like crazy. Fourteen year old boys when it starts getting really dangerous with girls, it's it's stupid dangerous more than it ever has been before, and pornography and the shame and the guilt that comes with all the all the stuff. It's just it's so tough to be a kid right now. I. Uh, it scares me for them to, how do they manage it? All right, Craig, as we land this plane, I want to ask you maybe just a, a final question. You've talked so much about managing stress and being efficient and effective and being authentic in your leadership journey, but certainly um, you have to deal with stress and you have to deal with emotions and there's a lot on your plate. Um, what do you do to protect yourself from being anxious? I was feeling really anxious yesterday. I mean, I felt I've got basically... I got a couple of weekend messages I got to get done in two days. I was feeling anxiety yesterday. And so I, I went back to what I know, which is slow things down, breathe. For me, it's, it's, it's praying, meditating on some verses. I went and got my journal out and just kind of wrote, wrote through some stuff. And so it's, I mean, what do you do? That's kind of what you do is you, you, have, to, you have to slow things down. You have to think it through. I, I, in my mind, I go through, okay, when have I ever not gotten it all done? Okay, 
we're going to get it all done. So he started just talking myself through it like that. And then um, I saw a real battle. I was feeling guilty about working and not having a Sabbath this week. And uh, I would just say that if you're performing at the top level and not dealing with some anxiety and some stress, you'd be the exception. You, I think you have to plan for it and you have to have tools to handle it when you get there. And I'd also say, I, I would be, why would um, some of the top executives not be working with a performance psychologist? If you're a pitcher, you got a pitching coach. If you're a kicker, you got a kicking coach. If you're a quarterback, you got a throwing coach. If you're a CEO, I'd suggest you get a CEO coach. You know, help, help me perform well. Uh, and I want someone holistic, not just help me perform better, but help me perform healthy better. This has been another episode of the Growth Over Goals podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. And we're so glad that you joined us today. If you joined us today, it's because you care about growth and developing as a leader. So kudos to you. Thank you for being here. If you wouldn't mind subscribing to this podcast or simply sharing this episode, if you found value, it'd be so helpful to us as we attempt to move the mission of impact forward here at Montgomery Companies with the Growth Over Goals podcast. Also want to say thanks to Craig Rochelle and to Brad Lominick for being a part of today's discussion. Certainly want to say thank you to Green State Credit Union for allowing this conversation to be possible. And then finally, thanks to John Choate, James Roth of Storyline Multimedia that do so much work behind the scenes to make these podcast episodes a reality. Appreciate you being here. God bless you all. Be well. Have an awesome day.